Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. I'm Paul Winkler talking about the world of money and investing. Jay, whoever was on this mic was shorter than me. (laughs) I've got it. All right. Yes. Yes, actually. uh, Sitting in the studio today, it's... uh, it seems like I was here forever and then forever I've been gone from the actual studio in uh, downtown. Uh, so actually, I've got a lot of things to talk about and things that I want to just cover today. And, you know, some of the things I'm going to be talking about, some meetings that had taken place during the week, and I figured it'd be kind of fun to walk through some of these things. And, and uh, just say, JR sent me. So what JR sent me, uh, he's always sending me articles. Simple seven simple portfolios have beat the S&P 500 for more than 50 years. And yeah, of course, because when you invest, you know, you have this thing, this concept of investing, this won the Nobel Prize in economics, and it's different factors of investing. And a lot of big mutual fund companies have basically said, we will not follow the research because investors won't stick with it. And I think, and, and I think actually, Jr. What you sent me is is that's what the guy said. He he was literally just talking about various portfolios and says the problem is most people won't stick with it. You know, you get into these conversations with people and they hear about total market portfolios or you know these funds that are designed to be you're retiring in the year 2040. You just put all your money here and you don't have to think about it. But they typically track what most people hear about on radio and TV, the the Dow, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, large U.S. stocks, large U.S. stocks, large U.S. stocks. And, you know, you think about it, who would have to pay the least to use your money? Large U.S. companies. Why? Because they're big. They don't need to pay a lot. So you'll pay a high price for the earnings that you get. So hence, what ends up happening is you end up with historically much lower returns. And I think, well, you know, I've got some returns, right? Yeah. And it's what you leave on the table that is so often the problem because you're trying to desperately outpace inflation as an investor because inflation is, I mean, like it or not, good grief, you go back to the 1970s and you could buy a house for $30,000. Perish the thought now. It's not going to happen. So you you really want to ha- more handily outpace inflation, and that area of the market doesn't do it quite as well. So, yeah, these portfolios, which add in value companies and, you know, making sure that you – the problem is you can't just do value. You got to really watch that term, value, because value companies are companies that have – very, very low prices compared to their book values. And most value funds don't do that. If you look at value funds, they're kind of in between growth and value. They're in in between in that little crack. And what ends up happening is you end up with lower returns simply because you're paying more for every dollar of earnings and more importantly, every dollar of book value. And there was uh, something I actually saw. I was going through one of the guys in my office says, hey, you know, have you seen this program? 
And I said, no, but you know what? You and I will talk about it on the, on the radio because I don't watch TV. I don't watch any of the programs out there because, quite frankly, it's <laughs> depressing to watch, uh, you know, too much on TV or too much on the Internet because there's so much bad information. And you go into, I attended a really fascinating workshop this week, as a matter of fact, on that particular topic. And it was on depression, anxiety, uh, the internet, and getting information online. You know, I think it was, was it Einstein that says information isn't knowledge? I, I think that was a paraphrase. But there's so much information. And we thought, oh, the information age, it makes life easier, won't it? We have more information. And what ended up happening is people end up paralyzed by too much information. And they don't know what to do. It's like going into a store. I went into a store this week, and they had all of these flavors of these, you know, this kind of a, a protein shake it was. And I was just kind of looking at it. I was there for something else. I was, you know, looking at, at some things. And I was in there. I looked at all those shakes and I go, how does anybody choose? There are like 200 of them. And you just look at it and go, I don't even know. And that's exactly it. You have like 30,000 mutual funds out there. How do you choose? You have 200,000 or something like that crazy sub accounts in, inside of annuity products and and. You go, how do you, it's just paralysis. And what this lady was talking about said, you know, it was the information age. It was supposed to make us all happier and, and healthier and wiser. And she said, you know, as a, and this lady's a therapist, she goes, as a therapist, what I see all the time are people that don't feel good enough. They don't feel up to it. They, they always feel like there's something wrong with them and, and maybe that they're lacking and, and you know, that they're, in a, they're not enough is the way she put it. And she says, you know, if you go online and let's say you're trying to research a particular topic. And she said, you can go in and research that topic till the cows come home. Will you ever get to the end of all the information? And she says, No. Obviously, no, you are never going to get to the end of the information. And says, so, so when you go online and you're looking for information or you're going to social media or you're going to research something or, or whatever, and she says, you don't feel like you're good enough, you don't have enough. And, and guess what? She said, you're right. <laughs> you are right. You will never be pretty enough. You will never be smart enough. You will never have enough money. You will never have any. And so what happens is people feel this absolute, you know, just anxiety first, she said. She says, you feel anxious because you just recognize that you don't know enough, you can't have enough, and you're not enough and all of that. And then she says, then what does it lead to? <laughs> like, well, depression, right? Yeah. Because depression is anxiety with hopelessness. And then she says, then what does that lead to? And it's like, I'm like, going, I, don't, I don't know what, what does that lead to? And she said, apathy. Apathy is what it leads to. And after a while, you just go, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't know. I'm not good. Forget it. I just, I'm just going to tune out. And that's what happens with people in, with investing. You know, people went through the Great Depression and they saw people lose a tremendous amount of money. They didn't recognize that literally if you were an investor during the Great Depression, 
Mind you, an 80% decline in the S&P 500. 80% decline. Your $100,000 is, if you had it, was $20,000. What most people don't recognize is you were back to that by the end of 1936. But what did most people do? They became anxious, they became depressed, and then they became apathetic. And then what they did is, then you have a whole generation, they do nothing but invest in CDs. And you take a dollar in treasury bills back in 1926, that dollar is now $22, yippee, where it's $14,000 in large U.S. stocks. It's $30,000 in small U.S. stocks. It's like $120,000 in small value stocks. $22. And so that's why most investors go, forget it. I can't do this stock market thing. It's just terrible. And yeah, you're right. And we end up at the end of ourselves pretty quickly. And I'll just tell you a couple of things that, I, that she said. I thought they were just really, really good. It has nothing to do with investing, by the way. Well, it, it does. It's sort of, but it doesn't. Because this is life. She said, she said, hobbies are life-saving, number one. And I thought it was interesting because she says, here's what happens is we have things that we know we're okay at, we're good at. Remember, that's where we don't feel like we're just overwhelmed. Because we're overwhelmed when we go on go online or we go into our programs or we go into social media. It's overwhelming. I can't get to the bottom of all this information. And then she says, then you have on another axis. So on one axis, it's, you know, what, what my abilities are. And the other one is, you know, the, let's say the X axis, Y axis would be my abilities. X would be uh, the task that's in front of me. Now, when those two things are equal, she said, we're good. We're happy. And this is the key to happiness, by the way. This is really, really cool stuff. Well, not, there's more to happiness than this, but this is one of them. Is making sure those two are in concert with each other. So she said, here's what's going on, is if you would back away from social media and online stuff and all of those types of things, let's say that you had a Saturday that you had nothing to do. And you couldn't get online. You couldn't get, couldn't get on your phones. You couldn't do anything like that. What would you be doing? And some people are like, well, you know, I'd be cleaning my room. I'd be going and, and I would go uh, and a kayak. One guy said, I would go out fishing. I would go camping. I would go walk my dog. And there was any number of things that these people said. You know, I would go play music, I would, you know, whatever. And said, look, those are all things that you're perfectly within your capabilities. And that is why when people walk away, they're an interesting study that if you do this stuff more than a half hour a day, that what happens if you'll drop back to a half hour a day, let me put it a different way. If you'll drop back to a half hour, depression reduced significantly, anxiety reduced significantly, sense of purpose, sense of well-being increased, all of those types of things. And what happens is we get out there and we see this garbage on investing that is just wrong, and then we get frustrated. And we recognize that there's never enough that we can know. And I was just reading through uh, Wall Street Journal. It had this thing about investing. And article after article after article, the information was just blatantly, blatantly wrong. One of the first ones was how to invest in the S&P 500. Like we need a tutorial on how to invest in the S&P 500. There are hundreds probably of index funds out there that you can do that. 
But why would I want to invest all my money in an area of the market that would have lowest or one of the lowest long-term expected returns? Well, why? Because we hear that it's good. Why do we hear that it's good? Because a fund that invests in large U.S. stocks that just buys and hangs on to them historically has better returns than ones that buy and sell and buy and sell and trade and get in and get in and get out. And that's what you've always hear, heard me talk about, the idea of market efficiency, right? In other words, trying to figure out which stocks are underpriced, buy them, and when they go up to the price that they're supposed to be at and then sell them is the way to make money. No, it's not. Companies have to pay to use your money. Those companies historically go up in value regardless of whether you have the right ones or not if you just own them all. Now, why the S&P 500? Because of familiarity bias, of what we're familiar with as Americans. I know the big U.S. companies. So hence, I feel comfortable with them. I don't know this little international Japanese value company. I don't even know who they are. I can't even pronounce their name. So I wouldn't even think about investing in them. But as investors, what happens is we miss out on these returns. And we do that because what we, we miss out on them because what we're doing is we're just doing what everybody else is doing. It's follow the herd. And, you know, it's, it's like Warren Buffett was talking. Warren Buffett was talking the other day about this. And he says, you know, the gambling instinct is hard. I mean, he was just talking about Bitcoin. He was talking about Bitcoin. And he was just talking about how people, you know, they, it, I don't know when it's going to go down. I don't know when the gambling instinct, instinct is going to go away. He said, to me, the lottery doesn't make sense either. But people find ways to, you know, justify doing it. The government finds all kinds of ways to make money on it. We know roulette wheels aren't a good idea. So the better, better idea is, is own one. Don't be a player. Own one. And what happens, though, is we see other people, you know, out there on the Internet talking about how great they are and how, how wealthy they are and all of this. And, or we hear about somebody that, that hits it big on something, and then they get lucky, and then all of a sudden envy kicks in. This Buffett is just, you know, sometimes you love him, like him, hate him, whatever, but sometimes he's, he's just very folksy, and he makes a lot of sense when he talks about these types of things. But he says people fly thousands of miles. They'll, they'll fly thousands of miles to do something that doesn't make sense. You know, they go, to, they go and bet on football games, bet on sports, and, you know, and then what happens, all these different states have lotteries now. And you don't even need to throw the game anymore when it comes to, you know, the, you, just, you can make money on gambling just because the house wins every time. Is that you just need to make sure the spread's big enough. And we know, we know to the bottom of our hearts, we know that getting rich quick and trying to hit it big doesn't make sense and it's not good. We got, you know, thousands of years of wisdom that says that's not a good idea. But yet we still do that. And his philosophy is, is get rich slow. That's the way you do it. Don't be impatient. Don't be worrying about what the market's going to do over the next week, two weeks, three weeks. Or I'm, he says, I'm thinking 10 years. And here's a guy in his 90s thinking 10 years, which is funny. But, you know, the, the issue is, is that people talking about Bitcoin or, or whatever, or, you know, it's, well, Bitcoin doesn't have any intrinsic value. Goes up and down in value based on supply and demand. 
And matter of fact, I ought, to, I ought to share with you something. It's an old study. It's an old study. But here is why, even when you correct somebody on these things, why they fall back into the old patterns. It has to do with the idea of cognitive dissonance. And there was a fascinating study that I'll share with you next as to what it was, how we discovered cognitive dissonance and what people did in this one study. Absolutely mind-blowing. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning, is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. We talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. If you want to find out more about that, you go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And uh, hope you enjoy. All right. Back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler. Talking money and investing, paulwinkler.com is the website. There is another American dream experience coming up. Uh, it's uh, beginning June. It's on the, go on the paulwinkler.com. It's pretty cool. If you go out there, you can actually see some testimonials, people that have been out to this and have seen it before and just they their understanding of investing understanding of, of finances you know money is just a tool to express what you value and most people really don't know how to define that and that's part of the exercise that some of the things that we do at that so check it out there it is a really really fun event that we do uh for for people it's it's a free event i don't know how these guys do it but they do it, uh, so you can. It's uh, we have some some people that can come in and and, and help us out with it, and and um, you know it's just a uh, program that we have done for years, and it has gotten really really good, and uh, so something that we we can share with you out there. Go out there, paulwinkler.com. Okay, so there. Have you ever had something that you've done where you go, uh, you you came up with an idea and you said, I think I'm going to do this. Yeah, I've got this thing. I want to. I want to do this. I, I really believe this makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and then you're convinced that it makes sense, and then you really buy into it, and all of a sudden you end up being wrong. That's never happened to anybody, right? And you think, well, if you're wrong, and maybe you're convinced that you're wrong. You know, like for me, it was. I'm kind of a weirdo, but I was a. Um, I was a broker, an investment advisor, working for a big investment firm for years and I would jump from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And I can see how I got out of it because it was, I say, oh, I'm a weirdo, but what happened with me, it was, uh, I was failing miserably because <laughs> I didn't believe in anything we were doing. You know, the mutual funds, we were being told to sell and, and sell annuities, we were being told to sell uh, life insurance products and all those types. I just didn't believe in any of it because I would analyze it to death and I would analyze it to the point where I couldn't recommend it to anybody. 
<laughs> so what happened, I was just like, oh gosh, this is terrible. And I found very few circumstances where it made any sense. Because people were talking about life insurance as an investment. It was, it was really, no, that's a bad idea. Annuities. And it was, you know, no, the commissions are too high. And they're just basically investing most of the money in bonds. And the rate of return in bonds historically is horrible. How can you increase the return by adding a middle person like an insurance company? This doesn't make any sense to me. I can't sell this. <laughs> oh, we're going to index it to uh, the S&P 500. Oh, you're going to index it to the area of the market that historically would be one of the lower returning areas of the market. And you're going to have an insurance company taking out fees and you're going to limit the upside return. Uh, how's this going to work? <laughs> it just didn't make any sense to me. So I was incredibly frustrated. And, you know, what happened was one day some this guy comes in, he starts talking to a bunch of us. And he said something about annuities. He said, ah, they have these sub-accounts that actually, these mutual funds inside the variable annuities, that had outperformed the mutual funds they were cloned after. So you have the ABC mutual fund by itself. You can buy that. And then you have the ABC mutual fund inside of a variable annuity, which is an annuity that lets you buy mutual fund type investments. And the one inside of the annuity was doing better than the one outside, even though the annuity was charging, the insurance company was charging more money. And I'm sitting there going, my, my brain is exploding. This doesn't make sense that this thing that costs more has a higher return. And they got into the way it was being managed. It didn't have, they didn't have to tax manage. And that's why it was doing better. And I was like going, well, wait a minute. Why not, why not manage the mutual fund portfolio in such a way that you're not doing all of this buying and selling and trading, which is triggering the taxes? And if this is too deep, don't worry about it. It doesn't really matter a whole heck of a lot uh, in, in the point that I want to make. But it was just cognitive dissonance. It just didn't make any sense to me that this was happening. And indeed, I found, yeah, it was true and what I found, though, was there was a way better way to do it. It didn't make any sense what they were doing. But it was part of what the way we'd been indoctrinated as a financial advisor for 10 years. I was indoctrinated this way to believe in what these investment managers were doing. And for me to go, if I were to walk away from it, it would have been next to impossible if I was financially doing really well. It'd be really hard to walk away from that. I mean, how do you walk away from something that's working for you? That's really next to impossible. But it was easy for me to walk away from because I was failing miserably. Well, that brings me to the story that I said I was going to share with you about this study that was done in the 1950s. Why is it that we find it so hard to walk away? There's a guy named Leon Festinger. And what he had done is he infiltrated a doomsday cult. So there was this, this lady, this leader, and she promised that the world was going to end on December 21st of 1954. It's going to be all over. It's going to end. But here's the deal. We may be saved on December 20th. And we might be transported to safety by a space alien, a spacecraft. <laughs> and, you know, you think back to those days. I mean, how many times did you see spacecraft on Twilight Zone, right? People were obsessed with that kind of thing. 
But it, it's kind of absurd, right? I mean, it's really kind of absurd. But we might be picked up on December 20th and transported. So what did people do? A lot of them quit their jobs. They quit their jobs. They gave away their houses. They gave away their money. Any investment savings, anything that they had, they gave it away. The people that really invested in this person gave all the things they had, the material possessions away. Because who's going to need money if we're going to get picked up by space aliens? Or if the world's going to end, we don't need it. And then there was another group of people that were just, that were followers and they were scared to death. And what they did is they stayed in their houses. They hunkered down and stayed in their houses and they hid from humanity. Now, what happened is this, this is, this is Festinger. He said, Hey, look, I hypothesize that one of two things is going to one. I think this is what's going to happen. The people that were not invested greatly are going to just quietly walk away when the world doesn't end. They're just going to slide off into the sunset, kind of going, well, this is kind of dumb. I didn't do this. I, I shouldn't have done this. This didn't make any sense. Okay, I'm just going to kind of hope nobody notices that I actually believe this. There was another group of people, though, the ones that gave away their houses, they gave away their money, they, they quit their jobs. Those people were so invested in what this leader said that even when the space alien didn't come and pick them up, they went to the media and they said, good news, the world isn't ending. And they, you know, they said, look, or everything's kind of turned out. And they were even more invested in this leader at the end of it. And you think, how could this be? This is cognitive dissonance. It's it simultaneously, we know something not, not right, but we believe it. And so often what happens with people is we hear things and we buy into things. Now, this is both happening to, this happens to investors who buy into something. And maybe they buy into investing in something I, I, I'm not going to want to pick on anything in particular because there's so many things to pick on. And I went through a couple of weeks ago, you know, the, the whole thing of Y2K. I mean, gosh, it was so hard talking people down from that. And then, you know, then, and then real estate and then it crashed and then it came back. And, you know, that, that's something that goes back and forth. But at least that has an investment value. But then you have people that invest in commodities and things like that. And it's proven over and over options or currencies or, or whatever. And then it gets proven wrong. And instead of walking away going, you know, I was wrong, that, that I probably shouldn't have done that, they double down on it. And that is human nature. It is the craziest wild thing. But that's cognitive dissonance. And that is what Festinger figured out many, many years ago, and it blew people's minds and still happens today. Now, the investment advisors, what I find is so often they buy into this idea of either stock picking, market timing, using past performance to choose mutual funds, looking at it. And I explain to people, past performance doesn't work. What do markets do? They go up and they go down. What was up? That was the good past performance. And that's when you're supposed to buy. You're supposed to buy after up. What followed up? Down. And yet people do that over and over and they go back. They go back to that over and over again, even when they're wrong. That's when you watch TV. 
And you see these people say, you know, here's what I think is going to happen. They end up wrong. And then you see them a couple weeks later back on TV telling you what their next prediction was. Why should we listen to them? It makes no sense. But I think it's fascinating if we understand ourselves and our human minds and how fallible we can be, then we can protect ourselves from ourselves. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., PWI, an investment advisor registered in the state of Tennessee. PWI does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation. This information is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any securities.